Well, good morning to all of you. It's uh, nice for us to be out. Actual uh, beautiful Nashville day. <laughs> this is this is what I expect when I wake up in the morning in the winter time. It's uh, feel right at home. Huh? Feel right at home right now. That's right. Brent's freezing to death. <laughs> it's been about twenty years since he's seen anything under fifty. So <laughs> they wear they wear they wear parkas. Uh, in in West Palm Beach, when it hits sixty, you know, they just they think they're all going to die. <laughs> Actually, yeah, sixty five. The, the, the women come out in their mink coat, mink coats, and it's uh, something else. So. Anyway, good to see you this morning. Let's begin our study with prayer. Father, we are so so very grateful for you. Just just knowing that you are our Father and that you treat us as your dear children, and that you care for us the way you do, is is really unimaginable to us. And we are so appreciative of the mercy and the care and the love that you constantly give us, pouring out the blessings every day that we need in order to live and survive, but especially the abundance that you have given us so that we can always honor you and glorify you. And we pray, Father, that as we worship and study today, that you will accept our, our gifts, <clears throat> accept our, our, our praise and our honor of you, and, and please help us to have good insights to change our hearts, to be more like you, and to change our lives, to reflect you in this world. Thank you so much, and please continue to forgive us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you will <clears throat> open your Bibles to Exodus, uh, Exodus, not Exodus. <laughs> Brent will do Exodus. I will do Ezekiel chapter 20. So the two big E's today. Ezekiel chapter 20. <clears throat> this is, uh, this is another one of my really favorite texts. I, I don't know if you ever you ever gone to a movie or you've read a book or something where you you came to the end and the ending was so surprising that it it, it just kind of blew you away. You just well, wow! You just went away just with this wow, wow! I I, I just never would have expected that. Uh, I hate watching movies with my wife because she always figures it all out about halfway through and then tells me. Yeah, what, what are you telling me for? I'm dumb enough not to figure it out. Let me watch it, you know. So, But no, she has to tell me. Well, this is one of those kinds of movies, Ezekiel 20. It's one of those kinds of stories and messages that when you get to the end, you are absolutely amazed at the the ending. It is not what you expect. And, uh, and, it, and it, it, it really is thrilling uh, to have something like that, and it, it just tells us more about the artistic nature of God. Let me set up Ezekiel 24, you, uh, just the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken into captivity in 597 B.C. 597 was the second carrying away of captives from Jerusalem into Babylonian captivity. Uh, and Ezekiel goes with the largest group of captives. There were there were many, many, many thousands in 597 that were taken away. Much less was taken away in 606 or 605. 
And now in 597, it's just massive amounts. The Babylon is angry. Nebuchadnezzar is angry at, at their rebellion. And he takes all these away captive. And Ezekiel goes with him. Now the third carrying away into captivity was 586 B.C. So that would be about 11 years later. In the 586 one, Jerusalem is leveled. Absolutely leveled. Walls, temple, everything goes. And the rest of the people are taken to captivity except for some of the peasants that are left in the land. So we're in that in-between period. Now, Ezekiel... Five years after he's taken captive, so you bring us down to about 593 B.C. Five years after he's taken captive, God calls him to be a prophet to the people in captivity. Now here's the problem with the people in captivity. They think they're the unfortunate ones. And they think the people in Jerusalem are the fortunate ones. And that someday they're going to get to come, go back and, and, and live with their relatives and all the ones they love in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel is trying to tell them that's not going to happen. Actually, you're the fortunate ones. The people in Jerusalem are worse than you. <laughs> you're bad, but the people in Jerusalem are even worse. And I'm going to come to a day where I'm going to wipe all of them out and you're never going to see your relatives again. They're horrible. And so Ezekiel keeps trying to tell them that, but the people in captivity just don't get it. They're very stubborn, they're still hard-hearted, all of this. And here's one other thing that you need to know about Ezekiel. God won't let him talk. So at the very beginning of his prophecy, God says, you don't get to talk. The only time you're going to talk is when I give you words to say. But other than that, you can't have any conversations. Oh, and by the way, you're restricted to your house. So here's Ezekiel for from 593 to 586, seven plus years, he is just mute, except when God gives him any words to say. And he has to stay at his house, except if God says, go out and do something funky, which God has him do funky things, you know, to illustrate his message. But in this particular situation, what we're going to see is he's hanging out in his house, And the leaders or the elders of these captives are going to come to his house and they're going to inquire of the Lord. Now, as stubborn as they were, they always liked to go and ask Ezekiel, so what's up with God nowadays? You know, what, 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 is there any message from the Lord? Can we inquire, ask some questions? And so that's what they would do. But they're very stubborn and rebellious in spite of them wanting to, to seek the Lord. I, I, I think maybe it's entertainment. You know, they didn't have TV. So let's go to Ezekiel and, and see what crazy thing that Ezekiel has to say today. Or maybe he'll do something really crazy like build a wall and dig through it. You know, that he, it's really cool when he does things like that. So anyway, that, that's just the way they are. So I want you to see how God's response is to them when they come and inquire of the Lord. And it, there's some funny parts to this. You know, God has a great sense of humor. I mean, he, he certainly can go off on the, rebe- the rebels, but as he does, it makes those who are righteous kind of laugh. <laughs> Plus, it makes you think about yourself. So it's really neat. Okay, so notice this, chapter 20, verse 1. This is just about two years later, <clears throat> after he was first called to be a prophet. So this would be 591 B.C. In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, 
Speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Okay, stop. So you can see the scene. You can already see God's not real happy. <laughs> so here comes these elders and they come to the house and they go, we, we would like to know the word of the Lord. And, and God just, you know, gives the message in Ezekiel's head. He goes, yeah, okay, I want you to go, I want you to go talk to these elders and go, you're going to inquire of me? I don't think so. <laughs> you explain to them, Ezekiel, the abominations of their fathers. I want you to explain to them how bad their forefathers have been. And so this is how the story begins. And Ezekiel is going to explain to them everything that's happened starting way back in Egypt. Oh, well, how long ago was that? A thousand years. So he's going to go back a thousand years, basically, and say, okay, let's go way back to Egypt. Let me explain the nature that you people have and have been passed on from generation to generation for a thousand years. He says, let me just go through this story with you. Well, this is really interesting because what you're going to discover is things you never knew before about the nation of Israel. This is one of the parts of the story that really was exciting to me when I read it. All right, so let's, let's see what he says. And you're going to notice that this first part is to let them know their abominations of their fathers. And what he's going to do is going to outline in verses 5 through 9 this generation that originally was in Egypt. So we're going all the way back almost a thousand years before. All right, continuing then in verse 4. On the day when I, excuse me, verse 5. On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore to them. You notice how many times he says this? I made oaths to them. I swore to them what I would do for them. <clears throat> so on that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them. A land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on. Every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, wouldn't that be a cool thing? He says, I'm the Lord your God. I've revealed to you. I am coming to you. I'm swear to you. I chose the most glorious of all lands to come, to bring you to. This is going to be really neat. Now, so here's what I ask. I want you to take all those Egyptian idols that you've been worshiping and your eyes have feasted on and get rid of those things. And we're going to have this wonderful relationship and I'm going to bring you to the promised land. Woohoo! It's like people, God says that to us today. Just, just get rid of all those. I'll be your God. I'll bring you to heaven. This is my, this is what I'm really excited to do. All right. Rest of the verse. Verse eight. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and, and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, 
that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Now, first, I'm going to give you this wonderful, glorious land. And then, get rid of your idols. And they wouldn't do it. If you're like me, you didn't know that. I didn't know that while they were in Egypt, God said, get rid of your idols. And they said, huh. God says, I'm going to bring you to this wonderful land. I'm going to be your God. We're going to get you out of bondage. It's going to be really cool. I've just handpicked this land for you. It's going to be great. So just get rid of those idols. And they went, no. And God said, I will destroy them within the land of Egypt. Now that we didn't know from Exodus, did we? That we we had no idea. Exodus does not record that part. But what an amazing thing that while they're in Egypt, God says, get rid of the idols and they won't do it. And then you're really amazed that, uh, by the way, Israelites, did the Egyptian idols deliver you? No, the Lord God delivered you. Those Egyptian idols, why would you continue to serve a bunch of idols that can't even deliver you? No, we're going to serve those idols. Nanny, nanny. And God says, okay, that did it. I'm just going to French fry them right in the midst of the land of Egypt. Pow! And then he goes, but for the sake of my holy name, I did not want to profane my name. Do you remember from Brent's lesson how Moses appealed to that very same thing when they were out in the wilderness, right? And so here is God at this particular point just going, no, if I do that, the Egyptians will go, what a rotten God that is. I can't do it. I can't do it. So he decides to keep them and and not destroy them. Well, if you were God, would you deliver them? I think I'd just go, you know... I think I'll go check out China. Maybe I can find some people there. You know, <laughs> really, why am I messing with this? Why am I dealing with these people? I mean, it's just amazing. And God delivers them anyway. God does the very thing that we can't even hardly imagine that He would do. Okay. So then He says, I'm going to pour out my wrath in the midst of them and all of that. But He changes His mind and does not do it. Alright, verse 10 through 17 now is going to transition to the people now out in the wilderness. So now we get them out to Sinai and all of that and we go, okay, they made it that far, God didn't murder them, now we've got a little better deal. I mean, he's delivered them out of the Red Sea from the Egyptians, surely their heart will have changed. Verse 10. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness And I gave them my statutes and made known to them my Sabbaths, my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Now see, so here's God. He goes, okay. So I get them out in the wilderness and I give them these wonderful gifts. Now, I want you to think about how God refers to this. I gave them this. I gave them my statutes and rules. What's that going to do for you? It's going to make you live. It's going to make you share my joy. How do people look at rules today? I don't like rules. Yeah, God's always trying. He can't make me have any fun. You know, really rules. God's going, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is a gift. 
you're not smart enough to know how to live and enjoy life. I, I made you, so I sent an owner's manual. And this is really cool. You know, it's the worst thing on earth to have a car without an owner's manual. You know, you're going putting water in the oil, gas tank. You, you just don't, you don't understand anything, right? So here's the right thing to do. Follow this. He says, I'll give you these, my rules and all this, and it's going to be wonderful. So, so you, you see that great gift. And then he also says, I'm giving you my Sabbath. Oh, it's like we talked about the other night. I give, I give you my Sabbath. I'm going to make you rest every, every seventh day. I give you the day off because I'm a great God. And I'm going to give you the rest. And not only that, that Sabbath is a picture of the ultimate rest I'm going to give you not only in the promised land, but in the real promised land of heaven. And it's going to be a covenantal thing. And you're going to go, what a God. Ah, this is fantastic. So he says, here's, here's these wonderful gifts. And then he goes on and he says in verse 13, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profane my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eyes spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. Why, you just... Even from what we read in Exodus, and even what Brent showed us in Exodus 32, this kind of shows us it was worse. This kind of shows us they've all still got their idols. They've got their idols hidden away in their tents, and in their secret place they go out in their tents and they bring out their idols, you know, and they worship their idols. It's still there. They've still snuck them out of the land. And they're still rejecting God. And they're still enjoying. And when they can break the Sabbath, they'll do it every single time. Because they don't appreciate what God has done for them. He's delivered them only months. Just a month or two before. And here's how they are still acting. But God spares them. Now verse 18 through 26. Here's the second generation of the wilderness. Now most of us have always thought the second generation... They were the best ones. I mean, they got to go in the land of Canaan, right? They are the ones who, who survived through the wilderness. These are the 19-year-old men and under from Kadesh Barnea, right? 603,548 men of war died through those 38 years. And so now we come to the second generation and we go, oh, okay, well, at least the children, the children are going to learn the lesson. Hmm. Let's see. Verse 18. And I said to their children in the wilderness. So here's our second generation. Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. I, I always love it. God does that in the book of Leviticus a lot. I am the Lord your God. 
That's really a cool question. Here, here's my rules. Here's what I want you to do. I'm the Lord your God. That should be something that would cause us to respect, wouldn't it? That's kind of a, a measure of please understand who I am. I'm not the kid down the street. <laughs> I am the Lord your God. I am not one of these kooky idols that can't speak and can't move and can't do anything and you have to carry around. Carry around. I'm the Lord your God. Please do what I tell you to do. It's a, it's a measure of respect and you see them not respecting at all. Okay? I am the Lord your God, verse 19. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profane my Sabbaths. So here you see the second generation doing the same thing. Now I want you to notice in this generation, he cautions them, be careful to obey my rules. That is something that is always lost on people who decide that they want to follow God or be a Christian or something like that. It seems to be lost on them that they are not allowed to just worship God any way they want to be. They are not allowed just to have good feelings and good motives. Eighteen times in the book of Deuteronomy, God said, be careful to obey my rules and my statutes and you will live. When we get to Ezekiel 36 and God speaks of the disciples of the Messiah, us... He says, when I put my spirit in them, they will be careful to obey my rules. And I'm like, boy, he includes the time of Christ. He includes us. So it isn't, you know, sometimes you hear, you hear religion say, well, you know, back in the Old Testament, God was really mean. You know, he just whacked you every chance he got. Well, you're already seeing he doesn't. That's not the way he was. It's the same God today as he was then. And then secondly, you hear him say, well, now in the New Testament, you know, he's all full of grace and you can just, you can just do just about anything. And he's going stamp of approval. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's telling us in Ezekiel 36 that we have to do the same thing. He's re reprimanding and condemning them for not being careful to obey his rules. He said to be careful. Now, doesn't that tell you how you ought to study your Bible? <clears throat> Well, that just says it right there. I need to be careful. I need to look carefully. I need to search. I need to make sure that I'm pleasing God and I'm just doing whatever I want to do. So it's very powerful to see those words. And then he, he talks about in verse 25. Well, I want you to read down to this. This is a kind of amazing. So going on then, there in verse 21, the rest of that sentence. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations and whose sight I had brought them out. Now, you see again, God, every time concerned for his holy name. Now, I want, you, I want to stop there and, and point something else out. How many times do you and I think, okay, the primary reason God saved us 
is because, you know, he just didn't want us to go to hell and he just didn't want us, you know, he didn't want us to be lost and he loves us and all of that kind of stuff. Well, there's no doubt that all those things are true. But there's a bigger issue. He doesn't want to profane his holy name. He wants his name honored. That has been his goal from the very beginning. He created us in his image. And right after it says he created us in his image in Genesis 1.26, the next statement is be fruitful and multiply and fill, and fill the earth. That word image, I think I told you this maybe a couple years ago, but that word image in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, just means icon. What's a swoosh? It's an icon for Nike. And when you see the swoosh, you think of Nike. Remember when Nike first invented that? That's the dumbest thing I ever saw. And now I find out I'm the dumbest thing. Because when I see the swoosh, I think of Nike. And Nike's going, gotcha. (laughs) Gotcha. Every time you see the swoosh, you think Nike. Every time a person sees you, they should think God. We're the images of God. See, God wanting His name honored through us. And so His purpose in not destroying them was to not profane His name because He's looking to honor His name. And well, you say, how can He honor His name with these terrible, rotten people? Mm, Watch and learn. (laughs) That's what's interesting. Okay? So going on in verse uh, 23... Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries. This is it, in the wilderness. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that in the wilderness, he told the second generation, I'm done with you, I'm just going to scatter you throughout the land. Nope, nope. But he said, that's what I'm going to do. Verse 24, because they had not obeyed my rules, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were set on their father's idols... Oh, daddy passed their idols down. As daddy's dying, he says, here, take care of the idols. And they did. Absolutely amazing. All right, because they had, and uh, uh, going on in verse 25, moreover, I gave them, this is interesting, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life, and I defiled them through their very gifts and their offering up their firstborn, that I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. So he says, you know, I just started defiling them with rules that were not good. And you say, God's rules are always good. It's interesting, the word rules here is a different Hebrew word. And the idea is, when they wanted to follow bad things, God says, okay, I'm going to give you some more rules. And the rules will devastate you and destroy you. It's kind of like this. I remember my Uncle Mac showing me his sermon book. And I went through it, I still have it. I have, I have And one of his sermons was, the commandments of God you have to obey, and the commandments of God you don't have to obey. What? Commandments of God you don't have to obey? Yeah. And so here's how the sermon went. He says, you don't have to obey the command to pray. You don't have to obey the command to assemble with Christians. You don't have to obey the command to take the Lord's Supper. You don't have to obey the command uh, to be moral. You don't have to obey the command to honor God. You don't have to obey the command to tell others about Christ. And he just went on. All these, all these commands that God has given us while we're here alive in this life that you don't have to obey. Do you have to obey them? No, you don't have to. You don't want to obey them? No, you don't have to. 
And then he said, but the day will come when God will have a new set of rules that you will have to obey. You will die. You will stand before judgment. You will listen to his word saying, depart from me into everlasting fire if you didn't chose not to obey the first commandments. Ah, those are commandments that are not good, right? And so that's exactly what he's doing here. He's saying, okay, I'm going to show you some commands you're not going to like. You're not going to get the, the fruit of the land. You're not going to get all the great things that I promised you. I'm going to give you a different set of commands. And so it is now God enforcing commands even though they didn't because they didn't obey the ones that they had a choice to obey. Now notice this repetition of the sequence of events that you've seen in these three different uh, ones that came up. You have the gracious graciousness of the Lord to bring them out. God acts first. We love Him because He first loved us. God acts first. And then we see the rebellion of the people. They do not want to follow Him. And then we see Yahweh's determination to just pour out His wrath But then we see his mercy as he withholds judgment for the sake of his name. And you see the pattern over and over again, all the way through these generations. Now we come to the final group. And this is the group from the time that they conquered Canaan until the time they went into captivity, including the people that he's talking to at this moment. So notice this, Ezekiel 20 now, and notice verse 27. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, In this also your fathers blasphemed me by dealing treacherously with me. For when I had brought them into the land that I swore to give them, then wherever they saw any high hill or any leafy tree, there they offered their sacrifices and there they presented their provocation of their offerings. There they sent up their pleasing aromas and there they poured out their drink offerings. I said to them, what is this high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Now the word Bama just means high place. I tease the people from Alabama. I said, there's your, Alabama is your high place. So, uh, but, but here's, here's, here's Bama. And God just says, everywhere you saw a hill, you committed adultery with it, with your idols. And he says, so I, I ask you, so what is this Bama, this high hill that you're worshiping on. And from that time on, you called it Bama. Because <laughs> I called it Bama. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. But see this next generation that came into, eat, came into Canaan? They acted all the same way. They followed their idols. They did all of the things that God said that they shouldn't do. So, now notice beginning in verse 30. In, uh, in verse 30. Therefore, thus, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after their, their detestable things? When you present your gifts and offer up your children in fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols to this day. All right, all the way to the time of this captivity, you're still doing it. To this day. And shall I be inquired of you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you. Nothing has changed for a thousand years. You are still doing this and you are not, God says, you're not going to approach me. You're not going to inquire me when you are full of the passions for your idols. What a lesson for us. How dare us 
decide that we can live in sin, that we can follow the passions of our own hearts, that we can create our own little idols, and then turn around and go to God in prayer and ask for blessings. You see God's attitude about it. No way. That is not going to happen. God says, am I going to be inquired of you? It's just not going to happen. All right, so what's God going to do? What would be your guess? <laughs> what would be your guess at this point? How is God going to handle this particular picture? Um, take a look. What's he going to do next? All right, let's begin at verse 32. What is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. <laughs> Here's God says, okay, I know what's in your heart. You want to change gods. You want gods of wood and stone. And God says, it isn't happening. I'm not going to let you do it. Now that, to me, is part of a story that's really shocking. I would think God would say, you want your idols? Go right ahead. I'll raise up a new people to Moses. Right? There's this that kind of reaction. And God says, you think you're going to change gods. Do you know no country changes gods <laughs> in the ancient days? They never change gods. And God says, you're not changing gods either. I'm not going to let you. I scratch my head and I go, how is the world you're not going to let them change gods? How, how are you going to stop them? Ah, well, watch. Verse 32, 33. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. You're not going to change gods. I will be king and I'm going to have my mighty hand and my outstretched arm and even with wrath poured out. Verse 30, 35. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. And I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the, bond, into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me. And I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Oh, God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you into the wilderness just like I brought your forefathers into the wilderness and I am going to make a division between you and the rebels and I'm going to get rid of the rebels and I'm going to make you pass under the rod. Now when a sh shepherd takes sheep and passes them under the rod, he divides them from whose are his and whose are somebody else's in the, in the flock. In John 10, God Jesus refers to this and He says, those who hear my voice will come to me. He says, I'm going to bring you out of captivity, but I'm not going to bring you into the land of Israel. <clears throat> Historically, when he brought them out of captivity, he did bring them in the land of Israel. But spiritually, who came into the true Israel? Only the obedient. Only those who followed God. The rebels are not allowed in. So the rebels he takes away. And when you see that, then you're going to know, he says, that I am the Lord. He prays all the way through, all the way through the book of Ezekiel. So here is God delivering with mercy and a combination of wrath. 
Judgment and mercy. Who's going to be judged? The rebellious. Who's going to receive mercy? Those who are not rebellious, but still sinners and transgressors. Now we're starting to ease in to our period of time. You're going to start seeing that he's not talking about them anymore. He's talking about you and me. Watch what he does. Verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter if you will not listen to me. But my holy name you will no more profane with your gifts and your idols. He's going to purge out the rebels and he says, you want to go serve them, you can go ahead and do that. But let me tell you something. You're not going to profane my name anymore. My people will never again profane my name. I just love the power of God. I just love God saying these things where I'm thinking, wait a minute, I have a free will to choose and you're telling me that it isn't going to happen. And I'm trying to figure out how you're going to do that with me. That's kind of an interesting conundrum. Well, let's watch. Verse 40. For on my holy mountain, The mountain height of Israel declares the Lord God. There all of the house, all the house of Israel, all of them will serve me in the land. I want you to keep that little statement in mind. Tonight we're going to talk about what that means more. But all of them are going to serve me. You ever seen all of Israel serving God? Sure you have. They are not all Israel who are of Israel. All of spiritual Israel serves the Lord. Ah. How's God going to do that? Watch. This is really cool. Going on the verse. There I will accept them. And there I will require your contributions and your the choicest of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasant aroma, I will accept you. When I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. Oh, wow. So here's God saying, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bring my Israel out. And when I do, they're going to offer the choicest of their gifts. What causes you and I to give God the choicest of our gifts? I hope that's what we do. What causes it? Because we look to the cross, don't we? Because we see what He did for us. We see His glory. We see His deliverance. We are the ones who appreciate His exodus. And that He brought us out of that captivity. That second captivity. That bondage captivity we've talked about earlier in the week. He's brought us out. And we give Him the choicest of our gifts. And then He manifests His holiness 
in the sight of the nations among us. Why? Because we become now the holy nation that He always intended Israel to be, but they would not. And so He brings us and changes us so that we live in holiness before the world. And God's name is honored and glorified because we walk as holy people. Every time temptation comes to you, every time temptation comes to me, my first thought should be, I don't want to be like that rebellious nation. My second thought should be, God has created me to show holiness to the world because of what He's done. He has created me to be that kind of person. And He has said, you will not worship wood and stone. I'm not going to let you. (laughs) How is he not going to let me? Because I can't get Christ off my mind. I can't give the, I can't get that beautiful gift he gave me off my mind. I can't forget his, his wonder and his graciousness to save me in spite of my sin and to bring me out of that bondage. That's why I'm going to do it. And then I want you to notice, he says, you're going to remember your evil ways and you're going to loathe yourselves says that again in chapter 36. What's going to cause me to remember my evil ways and loathe myself for my sins? Oh, the cross. When I see the horror of what He went through to save me, when I see that He left heaven, God the Creator of the universe... I love those words in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you read verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And you say, the Word became flesh? Who are we talking about here? The Word who created the heavens and the earth became flesh. The God who made everything became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And then He died for us. And it causes us to loathe ourselves for our sins. Now watch the last thing that God says He will do. Verse 44. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, how am I going to know that He's the Lord? You shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you. Uh Uh-oh, I'm getting scared. When I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. You're going to know that I am the Lord. When I deal with you for my name's sake, and not... For your evil deeds and your transgressions. I didn't think the story would end that way. God is going to deal with us. Not on the basis of the sins we've committed. Not on the basis of a sin we might even commit today. As long as we're not rebellious. God's going to deal with us. According to His name. You ever question your salvation? (laughs) You ever look at yourself, as Brent has pointed out, and say, I just can't believe He would save me? Yeah. But here's how He does. Because He doesn't deal with us 
according to our transgressions and our wicked deeds. He deals with us on the basis of His holy name. Do you get that? I don't. <laughs> I read it and I just sort of... I, I, I don't understand. How does any of us deserve that? You don't. And I don't. But His name is so great. And that's how you know He's the Lord. In Brent's lesson this morning, he's going to explain how you know He's the Lord and why that would make sense from Exodus 34. And that's what we'll deal with next.